Our scripture reading is found in the book of Psalms, the heart of, the heart of scripture. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 3. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I too, Nathan, want to encourage you. As extraordinary as the gift you have given us these years as a boy soprano has been, you have a greater gift yet to give, and that is in becoming a man. And becoming a good man, a man of integrity, a man like the man Jesus Christ. And if you become that man, whether you can sing these notes or not, the gift you will give us all is a much greater gift than you've given so far. So thank you. And we do look forward to your returning when your voice has deepened a little bit here. <laughs> It'll happen. And now that many more of you are here, I want to encourage you to eat. Terry Lovell came over and looked me up back there and said, was potluck announced? I said, I don't know. She goes, oh, please tell them to come. There's so much food. She even smelled like food. So I think you want to go. I think there's a lot of good food over there. And so as soon as we've covered some spiritual food, we will head for the, uh, the feast that is. Last week I shared some really uh, hard realities um, that are part of our society's story right now. The one I have featured in particular had been in the news that week. A family, Alvin and Anna and his five children, Wilmington, a man who had lost his job and lost his way and killed his five children, killed his wife and killed himself. And about that time some of you were saying, and the good news would be And I said, what I want us to think about is strategies together for hard times. Strategies for surviving what may come. What happens when economic disaster hits our home? When loss comes? For Alvin and his wife, it was a descent into desperation. And I can never... Uh, accept uh, the sanity of this. It may, it may be a degree of sanity, but uh, it's a descent into insanity as, as well. And I suggested, based in the Genesis story of creation and in John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, that the first step in creating a survival strategy 
spiritual survival strategy for the times we face is to recognize that we are the children of God, just as Bunny said in Family Matters. That our identity is not based in our occupations, it's not based in our ethnicities, it's not based in our families of origin or their size, it is not based in our talents or accomplishments, it is not based in our economic successes or failures. Our identity is based on the fact that we are the children of a God who made us and a children who redeemed us. All those other things I've mentioned factor, certainly. When we self-identify, we tend to identify in socio-cultural, economic, and other groups. Nothing wrong with that, per se. Unless we're missing the foundation underlying it all. And that is that we are children of a creator who loves us, and who redeemed us, and who calls us his own, and wants to spend all of eternity with us. That's who we are. The text we just read in Psalm 24, 1-3 begins in verse 1 with these words. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that is really, I think, the first step toward understanding after we know our value, where we come from, and the base of who we are. It's the first step in understanding the second part of our relationship to the external world of things and accomplishments. Let's read the text again. It was read from the TNIV, the Today's New International Version, which was my request, and I will be reading it uh, from two other versions. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, and I'm going to read it from the NIV. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's us. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters, a reference to Genesis 1. And then verse 3, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? If we read on, Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false? He will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. And the message, I love the way Peterson frames so much of Scripture. God, he says, claims the earth and everything in it. God claims world, capital W, and all who live on it. He built it on ocean foundations, laid it out on river girders. Who can climb Mount God? Who can scale the holy north face? Only the clean-handed, only the pure-hearted, men who won't cheat, women who won't seduce. God is at their side and with, their hand, with God's help they make it. This Jacob is what happens to God's seekers, God questers. Well, there's a lot that can be done with the Psalms, particularly uh, this one today. 
in terms of an exegesis of chapter 24. But I want to focus on those opening words. God claims the world. God claims the earth and everything in it and us. Because I think that is a, a real key. Some of you heard the story, so forgive me if you've heard it. I'm going to repeat it for those who may not have because it's a story about identity in part. Certainly, um, we value our homes and we need shelter and we identify with the things that we place in our homes. Many of them are triggers for memories. They're relics of a past or reminders of an experience, souvenirs of our lives books we've read, pictures of people we've loved and places we've gone. And in winter of 2002, about this time, we were in the process of remodeling our home in Hollywood. Now, this was not home sweet home in the sense of uh, suburban bliss. This was an urban home in the middle of gangland and brokenness. It was not a beautiful neighborhood. It was a blighted place. But in that blighted place, we were trying to create some sense of beauty and order. And our home on the inside uh, was in the process of, of further renovations. We poured our energies into it. Been through quite a bit of stress. If any of you have remodeled, you know the stress. Uh, if you if you didn't divorce, congratulations. If you didn't uh, kill a child, congratulations. It is a very tough thing to go through. In fact, that was uh, just an aside. I I, I stand up at the uh, Saxon Auditorium, at the meetings Mike Tucker's holding afterward to have prayer with anybody who wants to come forward. And one dear woman came forward and asked me to pray for her children because her son was renovating his home and he had five kids and they were living in it while they were renovating it. That ought to tell you something. It's profound stress. And we had put this energy into it. And we were struggling because the drug dealers next door seemed to have money for whatever they wanted. They could renovate their house anytime they pleased and did so. They could drive the big 550 series Mercedes-Benz and didn't think anything of it. Great neighborhood for a 550. And we were struggling to make payments on our used car and get our house renovated, and we both had jobs. Didn't seem right. We realized that our stewardship priorities weren't in order. We we weren't quite understanding, seeing, and living things the way maybe we might. We went to a seminar, this was three months before, on Christian stewardship, and made some new commitments. Not that we had never given or not been reasonably regular givers to tithes and offerings and budgets and special projects and different things. We had, but we weren't, we had some attitudinal and other issues that I know some of you probably have quietly as well. We made a new commitment with this revelation. God owns everything. And the thing that made that work for me, the thing that made that palatable for me and survivable for me was that God owned 
pardon the expression, my junky, crappy little house with all of its problems in this bad neighborhood. And he owned the liabilities in my financial ledger and not just the assets. See, if we think that God has our hand in our pockets and all he wants is the good stuff and we have to work out the difficult stuff, we have to work out our mistakes and problems on our own because there are mistakes in our problems, uh, God ceases to be much of an ally economically. God ceases to be much of a friend in terms of the day-to-day existence we face in this, this life. And so November, the year before, 01, we gathered around the table as a family and we prayed. And we even told God this junky house was his and asked him how he was going to help us fix it. And we began to take steps to manage our finances differently and better. We began to uh, think of ways in which we could uh, maybe refinance or shift things around to, to get some things done that needed to be done and still be good stewards. And we were in process of all of that. In fact, we were waiting for an inspection on the house so we could get a new loan. And we were in the process of painting it on the outside and removing old texture coat through a process called brazing. And flames went through a crack in the siding or a nail hole or something. And it's a 1917 bungalow. So it was basically insulated with newspaper. No wall dividers of any kind. And the flames raced up the interior of the uh, wall there and into the attic. And we had lots of things stored there. And before I knew it, an inferno was burning in the attic of the house. I had gone up to a little room above our garage where we were doing some painting and checked on the work there and looked out the window and there was smoke billowing out of the attic. Just billowing out of the attic. Well, I said some unquotables, ran down the stairs, ran into the house. God understands these things, I believe. Um, Grabbed a hose, turned it on, ran right into the hardwood floor and everything. Hose just going pulled down the attic stairs, ran up into the attic with my hose and was met with a wall of flame. It was too late. We had an Australian student missionary who was headed to Bible camp and had stopped by to pick up an air mattress or a little something, and a little cot thing, and she was eating a bagel in the kitchen while the house was burning. <laughs> Saw me come running in and I said, Grace, the house is on fire. She goes, Really? She later called my wife on the cell phone to tell her that the house was on fire. Jill, this is Grace. I don't know, Greg's okay and everything, but the house, it's definitely on fire. (laughs) I did all I could to get out what was immediate and obvious to me. I like art, and I had a few things on the walls that were just precious to me, and I just started grabbing them and running them to the garage. Didn't know what else to do. Neighbors had called the fire department. Grace had called 911, and they came within three minutes. But the house sustained, bear in mind this is a 1,300-square-foot house, and it sustained about $185,000 worth of damage. We lost a lot of things. Fortunately, some things were preserved and saved for us as well. 
and we were homeless for a few days until we could find a rental and cozy up on its floors. But we didn't shed a tear. You would think a woman would shed a tear. You would think a softy like a pastor might shed a tear too. You would think a boy would stand and weep. And Brennan didn't, and Jill didn't, and I didn't shed a tear. Not ever. It was God's house. It was going to be his burnout. And it was our job to be stewards as we could. Well, to make a long story short, we ended up fighting with the insurance company for eight months, sold the house as a burnout, and uh, rented for a couple of years just to get our equilibrium back. And it was a good time. But I tell this story because we lost a lot of precious things. But thankfully, God had done the work in our lives already to help us understand that they weren't our things. They were his things. Gifts to us. And as it would turn out, he would, he would give us back much more in the end than was lost. I tell that story too because we tend to hold on very tightly we read Psalm 24 as poetry. Ah, the earth is the Lord and everything's in it, the world and all of it. Oh, there's that parallelism. And we just blow right past the fact that not only is the world the Lord's, by virtue of two things, by the way, you know what they are. By virtue of creation and by virtue of redemption. The world is the Lord's. And not just the fullness thereof, that is to say, not all it contains in terms of nature or created things. But we are the Lord's, and everything belongs to him. Everything. Now, that shapes another survival tool for us. Because, pardon the gambling illusion, it was the Super Bowl this last weekend, Hold them or fold them, everything belongs to him. What I mean by that is win or lose, up or down, hold or liquidate, everything is his. And it doesn't change your value one way or the other. A rich man only has a harder time getting into the kingdom of heaven than a poor man. A rich man does not have greater status with God. A rich man is not, in the eyes of God, different than a poor man. The differentiation God makes is between the good steward 
and the poor one. The differentiation God makes is that the good steward is the one who recognizes that the world is the Lord's and everything in it and that we are but caretakers, curators, if you will, of what God blesses us with. And it's ours to make the best decisions that we can. It's ours to work as hard as we can. It's ours to honor God in that process by not envying or coveting what another has, but to thank Him for the goodness that is ours in the gifts that he's given. Am I making sense? When we acknowledge our status as children, not only by virtue of creation, but by virtue of redemption, and when we acknowledge that the world belongs to, the, to God, we belong to God, and everything in it belongs to God, that we are never owners, ever owners, that's only language, the language of our society and legal contracts. We are never owners. We are only caretakers of. We are only stewards of what God gives. That shift will change your life. That shift will keep you sane. Retirement accounts taken a 40% plunge? They were his to begin with. What he takes, he can certainly give back. Maybe you'll have the health to work to 72 instead of 64. Maybe those years of work will be your happiest years of work in your entire life and you won't even want to retire then. Maybe you will have kept investing in the stocks and bonds and mutual funds when they dip down to 7,200 and when they go back up to 14,000, you're going to go... I don't know. The world belongs to God and everything in it. It's just ours to journey with Him. And I want you to take that and put it deep, deep, deep inside of you. Because we're already to the place where 12.5% African Americans in this country are unemployed. Nine and a half percent Hispanics are unemployed, and six and three quarters percent Caucasian other are unemployed. And the numbers in every group are growing. Our mean unemployment is approaching 10%. That means when you walk down the street, job, 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 no job. And it's only going to get worse. Are we going to kill ourselves and our families in despair? Are we going to curse God and die? No. We are His. He will take care of us. He will lead us. He will redeem us. And everything we have is His. So why not try Him? Why not take his advice about stewardship? Most of you, many of you are very faithful. But if you've never tried tithing, give it a shot. 
never tried supporting the local church, how can we be here for you if there's no funds to run this place? Never tried testing God and saying, everything is yours? I want to acknowledge that. And I didn't really intend for this sermon to be about tithes and offerings. It's just a natural connection. This sermon is about the fact that you don't own anything. And if you don't own it, can you lose it? Can you lose it? Well, you don't seem convinced. That's fine. I'll take another 15 minutes and look at a few more texts. I'll labor with you a little bit longer on this if we need to. No, I think you hear me. The world is the Lord's, we are the Lord's, and everything in the world is the Lord's. That is the truth, that is the status of things, and that is one of the tools each of you has been gifted with for surviving tough economic times. Your choice is to be faithful. Walk, Lord, our hands in thine. May we count but loss any sacrifice, any loss. For we have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for us, that is life and that is everything. Amen.